You're listening to the HNC Let's Talk podcast, hosted by Dexter Brooks. Thanks for tuning in to HNC Let's Talk podcast. We partner with subject matter experts to provide candid conversations on health and lifestyle. Here at HNC Let's Talk podcast, mental, physical, spiritual, financial, and health are all connected. This episode of HNC Let's Talk podcast is sponsored by HealthNet Co. Together, we make insurance simple. Good afternoon. My name is Dexter Brooks, and I'm your host today with HNC Let's Talk podcast. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. And we do have our co-host joining in with us today, which is Demetrius Raiden Johnson. Hey, Demetrius, are you with me today? Hey, how's it going there, Dex? Going well, man. Going well. Cannot complain. How about yourself? Yeah, things are going pretty good. I, I can't complain. Things are still pretty hot down here in Tennessee, but uh, overall, everything's going really good. Awesome, man. Awesome. I know the weather's supposed to be changing pretty soon. Hopefully, that'll kick in next week. Yeah, I, you know, you guys got a, those fires still going on out there. It's still pretty hot and pretty dry out there. It was, it was good to have the opportunity to come out there to Denver. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely very very dry out there, and I hope everything works out with those uh, those fires and things. Hopefully, they can get that under control here soon. Well, I think they've done a great job at it so far. We're still waiting to see what's going to happen. I believe uh, most likely we should have some insight, uh, some resolutions probably within the next few weeks. I know some of them have been um, under control. I think about sixty seventy percent. But other than that, we will see. We will see. So what is it that you wanted to talk to the audience today about on your podcast? Well, you know, today I really just wanted to have conversations. You know, we've been kind of going on this this theme of creating generational wealth. And we've talked a little bit about life insurance and and investments and how those play a role in in creating generational wealth um, and education. Um, and we've also talked about the secured savings plan that um, in Colorado is going to be rolling out here pretty soon. And that, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, um, but I also wanted to talk to people about, you know, just financial wellness in general, um, because, you know, when you're talking about financial health and you're talking about accumulating wealth and, and getting your bills paid on time and making sure your financial house is in order, you know, that ties into a lot of other aspects of uh, people's lives that I don't think that people really um, have a, a, an entire grasp on how much it can affect things. You know, and money and finance, um, you know, can affect a number of different things in your personal life. I mean, they say that, you know, what is it, 50 percent, 50, 55 percent of all marriages end in divorce and of all marriages, um, you know, 50 percent. All of all divorces, 50% of those are as a result of some sort of financial situation. Um, so, are those numbers still that high or have they come down at all? Well, you know, that was kind of the last I heard. That was a, a few years ago. I know that, um, you know, millennials and people after millennials are tending to, it seems like, hold off on marriage a little bit longer. So, those numbers might be, you know, within a, a certain percentage margin of error. But I think that the the, the trend is still pretty um, significant when it comes to, you know, why are 
you know, people ha having maybe relationship issues? Um, how, how is their financial health, you know, affecting, you know, other aspects of their life? And, you know, when you talk about wellness, um, you know, oftentimes people talk about psychological wellness and they talk about emotional wellness, but there's also financial wellness and they can, you know, overlap a little bit there because a lack of financial wellness can lead to emotional stress, mental stress and that kind of thing. And so, you know, you can end up in this this loop of, uh, um, you know, negativity sometimes if your financial health is not in order. And it's, you know, it's something that that's very important. Now, I know that has to be a big factor um, you know, today. About creating generational. Now, I was just saying, I, I know that has to be a big factor today, oh, because yeah. especially I know that with so many people being unemployed and um the fact that they no longer have that extra income coming in, that $600 that was put into the uh, unemployment. So people are now receiving less money. I mean, the stress levels has got to be extremely high. The stress levels are high. You know, we, we're talking about we've got political climate that's going on. We've got different things culturally that are going on in our country, um, you know, and, you know, you talk about the, you know, with the stimulus and that, that amount being uh, decreased. Um, or going away potentially at one point or another, it will go away. And so, you know, people's mental and emotional health as it pertains to, you know, their financial security is something that, you know, people need to at least be aware of how it can affect them. Because sometimes, you know, I personally have been in situations where I'm like, why am I acting funny? Why am I acting this way? You know, <laughs> why, what's, what's going on with me? You know, <laughs> yeah, the, the slightest little thing sort of get you teed off really easily. Yeah, you know, and there's there's always this this joke when people talk about you know, and you mess with my my money, you messing with my emotions, and that <laughs> and that's true. It's yeah. true. It, yep. It's that way. You know, next to people's family, their money is you know the second most thing that they tend to be emotional about. You know, and so, so what do you what do you suggest, especially with the an economic climate being as um, volatile, I just say volatile as it is right now. Uh, how do, how can someone think about financial wealth when you're going through this volatility? Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, as, as I have assembled, you know, my team of people that I, you know, that I work with on the, you know, financial wellness and helping people, you know, we also have folks that, you know, can help help them to some degree with the emotional side of finance. And, you know, because everybody has a different, this is one of the things that I had to, to learn as I, as I got older was that different people have different relationships with money and with finances. And so some of the people on my team are equipped to, you know, not only provide, you know, financial um, support in the, in the way of, you know, helping to create a financial plan and that kind of thing. But then we, also have a couple of folks um, that have degrees in mental health, and I also work with some people that are associates and people that I, I know and trust that you know I've referred clients to to say, hey, you know I can see that you know there's been a death in the family, um, you know yeah you may be a client of mine and I'm I'm here to you know deliver that life insurance um, you know policy check death benefits to you, but you know how about we also you know, 
deal with how you're dealing with the situation? You know, how are you dealing with this loss in your family? And so, you know, when I think of financial wellness and, you know, I, it, it tends to come up with my life insurance clients uh, more often than, than not. That's where I tend to, you know, the emotional side of my business comes into play is on the life insurance side. When somebody actually passes away, you know, there's emotional support that maybe um, may be needed there. Um, and so we have people that we can refer our clients to and, you know, whatever people do, you know, people have their their um, maybe their faith that they lean back on or maybe they meditate or do things like that. Um, and that can that can help them. But it's a vital part of um, creating generational wealth is that you make sure that you're emotionally healthy as well. There's, you know, uh, emotions attached to, to finance and we need to make sure that people are OK with themselves, you know, internally. And so that's something that I kind of want to talk a little bit about today, because I don't think that it's a topic that's really addressed much. Um, but I think that it's it's very, very important because your financial health can have an impact on your your medical health. And so, so how does you know, life insurance tie into this? Well, with life insurance, you know, when we talk about some of the stresses in a number of different ways, when we talk about some of the stresses that folks are being exposed to right now with COVID and like I said, you know, political things and all that, um, you know, when I'm talking to my clients now, even though it's a downtime, even though it's financially, you know, difficult for them and they may be going through a, a, a wide range of, of emotions and things, you know, I like to just make sure that people you know, continue the path, you know, when markets are volatile like this, um, you know, I talk to people on the investment side about staying the course when it comes to the life insurance side of things, you know, especially with COVID, you know, with everything that's going on right now, you know, people are realizing that, you know, tomorrow is not promised and they're, you know, come face to face with their own mortality. And so, you know, like they say, yeah. So, but how does, so, but my question is like, how do you, how can you, how does life insurance play a part? I know there's different types of life insurance because we had the podcast about that. You know, we talked about the whole life, uh, the adjustable life. So how does that play a part into building that financial wealth, especially during times of volatile stress? Oh, well, you know, life insurance, like you said, when we talked about the different types, the different types of life insurance, like with whole life and with term, and when you connect, you know, those types of policies with your overall plan, say, for instance, if I'm talking to a client and we have set up a plan where they have both whole life and they have term, and then they're looking at the market right now and they're saying the market's very volatile. What do I do? Should I pull some money out? Should I stay the course? Should I keep investing? Do this, do that. You know, I have to remind them that, you know, of the buckets of money that they have allocated toward their financial plan, that they might be experiencing a little less volatility in their portfolio as a result of some of the cash value that is built up in their whole life policy. So while they might be experiencing some volatility in their in their stock market, the stock market and their their retirement plan is not it's not inclusive of their their whole financial plan. So yeah, they have a retirement plan, but they also have life insurance planning, and they also have, like I said, that cash value that is in the 
whole life or the permanent policies that's not exposed to a lot of the market volatility that's out there. And that's why it's really beneficial for people to have both, to have the protection in place and the um, uh, the offense of the, the investments in place. And so when the investments aren't doing as well or when the investments are volatile, you know, you have that peace of mind to know that within your whole life policy, you have this cash value that's sitting there that's guaranteed. It's not going to lose you any money. So whole life, when it comes to the overall planning of things, can help lower the overall risk of the financial plan. While it's not a part of the investment portfolio, it is you know, adjacent to it. It is off to the side, and it does help to limit the overall risk exposure to the client. So would you say, so the adjustable life insurance or the variable life insurance would be play a more of a part on the, I say the stock part of it as, as far as the politics? When, when you say adjustable life, like they have um, like variable life insurance, right? Mm-hmm. And the variable life insurance, that life insurance product itself has an investment component that's attached to that product and it's determined by the performance of the underlying investments that are within the separate account attached to that life insurance policy so that's variable variable life and so with variable life you know i don't sell a whole lot of variable life insurance i think that it's a great product um, but because of the the very specific work that I do with clients, I sell, I don't know, I guess of of the types of life insurance that I normally deal with, I would say whole life, term life, um, um, you know, universal life of various types, and then sometimes variable life insurance. So I would say, you know, with variable life insurance, I'm a big proponent personally of keeping investments and life insurance separate and variable life insurance is a product that combines them two together and while variable life insurance is can be a great fit for a lot of folks um, most of the clients that i deal with prefer to keep them separate because with variable life insurance there are additional costs that are baked into the product that sometimes mm-hmm. clients are aware of and i have figured out ways in which I can accomplish similar um, goals with fewer expenses. And so while sometimes variable life is is a great product for folks, you know, um, sometimes it's not. And so when you're dealing with someone that has knowledge of all the different types of life insurance, you know, you can really get something that's catered to what you need specifically. And so where variable life is, um, you know, is useful or where beneficial to the client um, and what they're trying to do, I definitely recommend um, variable life. Um, But there are ways to accomplish similar things with, um, you know, blending a whole life policy and having a separate investment account where you have a little bit more control over um, the investments there. So. You know, there's so many, like we talked about before, there's so many types of life insurance. Yeah, so absolutely. Many. And most people are only aware of either, you know, term life and whole life. And so they are kind of limited to those um, 
you know, to their own knowledge set when they go shopping um, for life insurance. But that's why it's so important for people to talk to a licensed professional when it comes to, um, you know, selecting, you know, the type of life insurance they want. Because, like I said, you know, with every financial plan, all of my clients are on two very distinct paths. There is the wealth accumulation path, and that that path takes a while. It doesn't happen instantaneously, but that defensive side and that protection side of the financial plan uh, with the life insurance is something that can take place instantaneously. And so, as people are having, you know, so thinking look about at their finances, and you know, um, this is a good time for. Let's look at those uh, types of policies, because like you said, you got the whole life policy, you got the adjustable life policy, you got the variable life insurance policy, the universal life insurance policy, (laughs) and then you have the term life insurance policy. And that's just a few. That's just a few. And there are different variations of those types of insurances. There's, you know, there's different types of whole life. There's, you know, different companies package these products up differently. And so, you know, you may go to one place and you're talking about whole life and then you go, you know, say you're going to New York Life or MetLife or Mass Mutual, whoever, and you talk to a rep there and they make a recommendation on whole life. And then you go to another um, life insurance rep and they may recommend something different based on the products that they have available at their firm. And so even within, you know, those subsets of, you know, whole life term and variable life and universal life and what have you, there's variations of those types as well. And so, you know, that's question for you. What's so that? what is it that the consumer looks for? So is the consumer just basically looking at the, um, the dollar amount, say like, um, a person's looking at, say, a person wants to buy a $50,000 to a million dollar policy. That's the only thing they're looking at is the dollar amount, the death well, benefit. Basically, they're not actually looking at the type of policy it is. They're just looking at the death benefit. Well, and that's what I would caution people not to do, actually, is to not look at strictly the death benefit because, you know, say, for instance, you have a need for 500000 or so let's say $250,000 worth of life insurance. And that's your mm-hmm. need. And you say, well, I can get $250,000 worth of life insurance simply by this term policy. And say I'm 35 years old. I'm 35 years old. And this is, you know, not, this is just a very general example with no other information given. But I'm in my 30s. I bought a 30-year term, and I got it really cheap, and I've got the death benefit that I need. And so I walk away, and I think I'm, I'm fine. I think I'm taken care of. Well, come retirement age, you're 65, and now you no longer have life insurance because you, <laughs> bought, a 30, because you bought a 30-year term or because you didn't convert the policy or because, you know, for whatever reason, but now you're 65 and your policy has lapsed and yeah, you still have your investments and stuff and you get to think, well, maybe that 30 year term wasn't what I needed. And so the type of insurance 
you know, for you have to think about what are you trying to do with this insurance? You know, if you're trying to create a legacy, then chances are, you know, you probably want something that's going to cover you for the entirety of your life. Or to age 100, huh? <laughs> to age 121, whatever it is, you know, and if it, if it is a term policy, you know, you got to think about, well, what's my health look like? How old am I? Am I, you know, if I'm, if I'm 70 or if I'm 60, you know, a 25 or 20 year term might be fine. You know, depending on my health and a number of other things, it's like, that'd be fine. But if I'm 25 and I get a 20 year term, that may not be as appropriate. The face amount or the death benefit might be right, but the type of insurance is wrong. And so, you know, it's not just the face value. It's not just the the, the death benefit um, that that is is the most important thing. It's about the type, the amount. Um, you know, it, there's a, a number of different factors that come into play when when picking the the right um, life insurance for your needs. And so, you know, it's about the amount. It's about the type. It's about a, a number of different things. So, like I said. I always recommend for people to at least talk to an, an advisor, an investor, an insurance advisor, insurance broker, um, you know. And for me personally, I like being in the situation of being a, uh, or in the position of being an independent producer, an independent um, life insurance agent, because it allows me to shop the market and kind of really tailor fit what the client needs and not have to think about, you know, what brand name the product is or what, um, you know, what the name of the, the, the company is. I'm not held to any particular company that I have to deal with. And so that's yeah. one of the benefits of, of being an independent producer is that you can be unbiased in your, you know, your recommendations. Which is a plus. <laughs> yeah, it's a huge plus. I mean, I, I enjoy being an independent advisor. I enjoy, um, you know, being able to really cater uh, an insurance plan um, to a client. And I like to make sure that the insurance part of the plan is complementing um, the investment side of the plan. That's that's really what's important is that things work together cohesively and, you know, that you maximize the the effectiveness of the tool that you have in your tool belt. And, you know, that's really what I try to do, because most of the people that I deal with, like I say, are very middle class people, um, you know, could be you know, $50,000, $100,000, $150,000 income. And, you know, a lot of folks are, you know, first generation college um, graduates. And, you know, they want to create a stage or a platform um, by which they can help to create generational wealth and legacy for their family. So it's important to get it right. Yeah. Because yeah, I know we talked about that on a lot, one of the podcasts. We was talking about the fact that most people should go to look at the fact, look at the idea are starting off young, like if you just had a newborn, um, the child said, child's now two years old, finding a policy for that child and start from that point on and move forward. You know, don't wait until you're 60 years old and then think about getting a life insurance policy. Or don't yeah. wait until you're 45 years old and then start to think about getting a life insurance policy. Yeah, I got my, I think I got my first life insurance policy. I think I was in my 20s. I think I must have been around 22. And I had just a small policy and it was it was um, through my employer. 
And, um, you know, I didn't, like I said, I didn't really think about life insurance in my career until about halfway through, about till 10 years through. And so it wasn't that big of a concern to me until one, I, you know, I had my daughter and then two, um, I educated myself about the importance of life insurance. It was always one of those things that people really didn't want to talk about. And so, you know, <laughs> yeah, we talked yeah. about we talked about that myth too, all right? Why why they don't talk about the life insurance yeah, policy? I don't think they're they're about curse on you. It's like you're gonna die next month because you decide to get a life insurance policy. All of a sudden you're gonna get hit by a car. So <laughs> it's not that's not how it works. It's not when you buy life insurance, you are not willing things into existence. <laughs> you are you know, you're protecting yourself, you're protecting your financial plan, you're protecting your financial um, you know, wellness. And, you know, it, it's just one of those things that, especially again, in the black community, we have to have these conversations about why these things are so important, you know, and we've got people, um, you know, back to the emotional side of things, you know, there are people in our, you know, cultural climate right now where, you know, people, you know, it's, it's rough out there, you know, and, and tomorrow is not promised. And so, you know, it's important that we take care of our loved ones and that we, you know, are properly protected and that we ensure the value, you know, of our life financially, at least, you know, to the best of our ability, I think is important. Yeah. You know, yep. from, a, from, from, a, from a business standpoint, you know, I'm always wanting to get clients. I always want to get life insurance clients because of, you know, some of the philanthropic uh, things that I'm attempting to do, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, allocating some of the money that I make from the life insurance to local communities and what have you. But in addition to that, you know, each family that I speak with and we talk about life insurance, you know, they tell me about, you know, oh, I want my kid to go to college and I want my kid to, you know, not have debt. And I want these sort of things. You know, life insurance is something that has guarantees that are baked into it that can afford families um, you know, a means by which to fulfill their financial goals. And so, you know, investments can do that as well. But when you use them in concert with one another, it can, you know, compound the effects. It can, it can greatly impact someone's um, retirement plan by putting life insurance in place. So what other, what other good points do you have for the audience today on life insurance? Or basically, I'm not going to say life insurance, on wellness, building wellness. So we, you know, because we talked about um, the new portfolio plan that's coming up in Colorado. I don't forget what the yeah. name of it is. Yeah, the Secure Savings Program. I actually just Savings got off program. the phone with the treasurer's office about that um, just before our podcast here. And how... So, how are we looking well, on that? Well, things are trucking along. Things are going really well. And so that secured savings uh, program, I'm personally in, you know, time invested into this program. It's something that I definitely am a big proponent of and believe in. And, uh, you know, for those people that didn't hear it on the previous podcast, basically Colorado is rolling out, um, you know, a state facilitated um retirement program that would be available through um, small business employers. So employers that have, you know, over five employees, um, 
you know, would have the option of, or actually they're not going to have the option. It's going to be mandatory that these businesses um, offer this retirement plan to their employees. And so the employers, it will be of no cost to the employers. They just basically act as a conduit, um, a doorway, a means by which the employees are able to participate in this IRA, basically IRA account is what it amounts to be. Um, but because it's offered through the employer, the idea is that um, it will increase retirement savings amongst Coloradans by um, you know, having this IRA account made available to them through their employers. And with small businesses, you know, they don't always have a 401k plan. And so being able to, you know, offer this um, to employees could help to create what's been estimated to be a $10 billion impact um, over the next 15 years. And so, and that $10, $10 billion impact comes in the way of reduced um, use of state resources for retirees who um, maybe did not plan um, as well for retirement. And so um, it's not going to cost the taxpayers anything. Um, you know, we're going to set things up in such a way that it's going to be cost neutral. And I've been happy to be a part of the board um, for this. And we're going to reconvene here um, soon. Uh, the COVID, everything going on with COVID has caused us to kind of put a pause on things, but um, we're going to be back at it here in September. And so they're going to be, at, you know, now that we've done the research to say that this is something that we want to do and that is right for Colorado, now comes the part where we implement this secured savings plan. And, you know, we have got to pick the investment options and, um, you know, and everything. We're going to sample from a couple of other states, but we're going to create something that's unique and beneficial um, to the um, small business employees of, of Colorado. I'm really, really excited about it. And, um, you know, hopefully I'll be on the implementation board, but in one way or another, I'll be participating with that um, coming up here through the rest of this year and in 2021. So that'll be that'll be pretty cool. You know, I really think you should be on the implementation uh, board with this because you've started out from uh, what the grassroots from beginning and you know it yeah. in and out, you know, so I think it would be a great idea. So who's out there listening to me or listening to the podcast? Give a shout out to Dem Demetrius Radin Johnson to make sure he is part of this. Mayor Hancock, Governor Hickenlo uh, Governor Polis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, yeah, it's going to be uh, uh, Governor Polis who's going to have the final word on this. And so hopefully he keeps me on board um, for this implementation team. And, um, you know, I, I'm just really happy to be a part of it because I think that the impact is going to be great. I think that the long term effect, it's not one of those bills that is getting a lot of press, but it is one. that Which is surprising. I've, Why is it not getting a lot of press? Is there just too much going on right now with the election? Exactly. Everything is going on right now. And it's just it's just a lot. Um, but. The secure savings program is a big deal. It's it's a big deal to small business employees, and it's a big deal to people who own small businesses. Um, it's also a big deal to people who are just generally concerned about retirement savings. Because you know, I was thinking about it with this secured savings plan. 
and this IRA, you know, this could be a conduit or, or a bucket of money. You know, when you leave a company and you got a 401k plan, we talked about this in a previous podcast. It's like, well, what do you do? Do you leave that money there? Do you leave it at the, the 401k plan at the employer or do you roll it into an IRA? Well, this plan is something that's portable that you can bring from employer to employer. So, you know, when you if you do have a 401k, in theory, you would be able to roll that into this plan. And, you know, it's not just limited to small business employees in the sense that, you know, say, for instance, you go work at, you know, uh, Joe's solar company that has, you know, 20 employees. Right. And so you set up this secured savings program through them and you put some money into it. Then you say, oh, now I, I, I'm working at this major corporation and they offer a 401k plan. OK, so now you're participating in the 401k plan. You say, oh, I don't like this major corporation anymore. I'm going to go work for small business again. Well, you can roll that 401k money into that secured savings program that you had at that big corporation. And so this secured savings program, depending on how you use it, could potentially be kind of like the anchor of all of your rollover assets, potentially. Um, I think, you know, quick question. How has the small business community reacted to this? Because this is not a voluntary, it's not voluntarily that they jump into this. This is like mandatory that they have to do this. So yeah, so yeah, so that's been, you know, at, for a while that was kind of a point of contention. It was like, well, you know, well, what are we gonna do if we really want to increase retirement savings? Um, you know, how do we get employers to offer this to their employees. Okay. And so there had to be some sort of punitive, you know, it was, it's, a, and it hasn't been determined quite yet, but um, my understanding is that there will be potentially some sort of small, um, you know, financial um, charge to the businesses if they're not in compliance with this plan. Um, it's one of those things to where the employee has the ability to um, elect out of this plan. Um, it is it is something that is is not mandatory for them to participate in, um, but the employers must offer it to their employees, and so that part of it is mandatory to the employer. So very similarly to how employers have to give you your Cobra information when you leave them. Yeah, but that's um, for a certain size group, though. Certain size right. employer. For a certain size employer, so they it's just one of the onboarding or offboarding parts of you know taking on a new employee, and so the goal is to make it easy for the employers to make it to be no cost to the employer, or to make it to where if there are any additional costs that they could either potentially be reimbursed for those costs or that. Um, you know, again, we haven't implemented the plan yet, but if I were on the board, I would make it as palatable. I would strive to make it as palatable as possible uh, for the employers, because the whole goal is to, you know, benefit the employee and the employer, because offering a retirement plan um, to your employee, to your employees 
has proven to be a good means by which to increase retention of employees. The more benefits that you offer to your uh, employees, it's shown that you know the attrition rate tends to go down a little bit lower. So the way that I would envision it, um, you know, so far as ease of use would be that, you know, when you start with your new employer and you sign up for your health benefits, you know, you've got to go to a website and click a bunch of buttons and and sign up for your health benefits. That there might be an additional website that you would go to, and this is kind of how it works in some of the other states, is that there's yeah. a website that you go to and you just click on it and you enroll. And then the money comes out of your paycheck and goes into this IRA account. Or if you don't want the money, again, to go into the IRA account, you can opt out of it as well. But does it um, does it cost the employers anything at all? No, it should, it should not cost the employer anything. If the employer does find some sort of, of cost um, entailed in you know, setting this up and things, um, there was conversations about maybe a, a means by which they would be able to send that to the state or to the board or whomever, however it's going to be a structure, and they would be able to get reimbursed for those costs. We don't want it to be an additional expense, per se, to the employer at all. Okay. So it's more or less the, the only, since there is no, there is no cost, it's just the basically time that the employer has to invest in. That's the main thing. That's the main thing is, is the time. The small business employer would, you know, have to educate themselves to some level about, you know, how the plan works and how to instruct their new employees on how to enroll. Hmm. Yeah, because there's a lot of companies like there's, you know, like the, with the gig economy. So like we've got Uber and we've got Lyft and all those kind of folks. and it's like, you know, perhaps on their onboarding process, maybe they would, you know, employees would click a link and then those Uber employees would be able to participate and have an IRA that comes out, of, you know, IRA contributions that come out of their, you know, their money that they get paid every month or every, however often they take pay. You know, it's it's one of those things where I think the, the majority of the people that are going to be affected by this, the majority of small businesses that are going to be affected the most are going to be those ones that are right at about five employees. Um, the ones that are at like 10 or 15 or 20 employees, most of those guys are at a point now where they have some sort of human resources or some sort of, not even the human resources, but someone some that is able to administrative. administrative person. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't even say it should take a human resources person to, to handle this. It would be, just, you know, maybe an admin or maybe the um, the employer themselves. Uh, one of the persons that was on the board who 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 brought about a lot of great perspective um, was uh, Pete, Pete Turner. And he's the owner of, um, of uh, Illegal Pete's. And so, you know, he's got. Love the hot wings. <laughs> What's that? As I love their hot wings. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they've got good hot wings. They've got good burritos. And, uh, you know, I think he brought um, some breakfast burritos one time and they, they were delicious. I love I love illegal peas. Um, <laughs> but he's got he's got, you know, maybe 400 employees or so. And 
He says, well, how is this going to work for my kind of business? You know, and so we had to really think about it. And that's why it was so important during the research phase of this secured savings program that the board members have different backgrounds. So we had a few financial professionals. We had, you know, retiree. We had a college person on there. And, you know, we had some business owners on there as well. And so uh, we wanted to board. And I think that that's going to be consistent with this next board as well. And so, you know, some of the questions that you raise are, are common questions. So did you guys think about the idea of pushing this over to the brokers? Um, well, what do you mean? So far as well, that's the, so here's the deal. So when you're talking about pushing it over to the brokers, like pushing it over to like the independent guys or the, the advisors that are out there, you mean? Yes. Yeah. And so as an advisor, see my perspective and, and, and two other of the folks that were on the board, we had similar thoughts about this. And that is that a lot of advisors out there are going to have, they will see it as an opportunity. Right. Advisors, they're going to see this, um, you know, through, when you're looking, when I'm looking at this plan through the lens of a financial professional, if I'm acting in the capacity of an advisor, I'm saying, well, this gives me a reason to reach out to people. This gives me a way that I can, you know, go out and, 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 and prospect. You know, from a business standpoint, I'm saying there's this new type of retirement plan coming out and you need to talk to me about it, you know, and that's and I, I feel like that's how a lot of advisors are going to 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 look at this, which is not necessarily a bad thing at all. I think it's a good thing. Um, I think that more people that are talking to financial professionals, um, you know, the better. Um, but, you know, yeah, this is one of those things where. I think advisors and the brokers are going to see it as, as opportunity. Um, oh yeah. To- I mean, that's the way I'm looking at it. That's why I came into my mind. So why hasn't this been pushed over to the brokers and the advisors as an opportunity to open the door to provide another piece of the puzzle from, you know, portfolio standpoint for the business. Yeah, that's, you know, that's how I see it. You know, when there was opposition to this um, years ago, um, when I was testifying at the Capitol, uh, there were folks from firms that I, I won't name, but there were f- folks that originally opposed this. And I think uh, they were looking at it through the wrong lens. They were thinking that this was going to take money away from uh, firms through you know, from the big brokerages and stuff. And so um, but I didn't really see it that way. I saw it as potentially um, an opportunity for them. I saw it as being mutually beneficial for both the well, not well. Three ways, three ways beneficial to the employer, the employee, and to the advisors, and also to the state's budget as well, um, because it will help you know save those that valuable you know ten billion dollars over the next fifteen years. So, you know, it's shown great success so far in California and other states. I mean, ten billion dollars, nothing to scoff at. I said, well, you know, if we can help, if if we can help people better save for retirement through making a plan more easily accessible. Um, you know, I'm all for it. It's just a matter of how it is constructed. That's the most important thing. And that's why I wanted to be on the board because, you know, something of this importance, I think, deserves to be constructed in a very thoughtful 
um, a very thoughtful way because if, it, if it's done properly, it can have even a greater impact than um, was projected, is, is my belief. All right. All right, Mr. Demetrius. So we're going to get ready to wrap this up. Uh, what would be your... What would you like to leave with the uh, guest today, with our audience? Well, you know, I, I just want folks to, you know, remain focused and, you know, remain emotionally, cent- you know, centered to some degree as much as possible. And, you know, it's chaotic out there. You know, <laughs> it's chaotic. I mean, I watch the news and I, I try not to watch the news as as much. Um, you know, uh, there's you know popular networks out there and I'm like, all right, I need to limit my time to watching this, uh, all this news, because some of that negative energy and some of that, you know, it can affect you. It can affect your health. Right. And so, you know, and, and from a, a mindset and trying to tie loose ends here together. But, you know, when it comes to life insurance, you know, think about financial wellness. Think about taking care of yourself. Think about making sure that, you know, mentally, emotionally through these chaotic times that you're okay. We've got a lot of civil unrest going on out there, you know, and that all can have an effect on your health. And, you know, I just want people to remain healthy, remain positive. And yeah, you know, make sure you're focusing on your financial health, but also make sure that you're focusing on, you know, emotional, mental health as well. That's, you know, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. It's all for naught. Absolutely. All right, Demetrius, I want to thank you for joining us today on HNC Let's Let's Talk podcast. Also, I want to let our audience know this is our first, our first official live broadcast across four platforms. So we are actually streaming live on Facebook. We're streaming live on YouTube. We're streaming live as well as whoever are we on. Uh, let's see, chit chat. Who else? Somebody else. Can't even think of the name of the last one, but I think we're just going to continue to just stream live from now on moving forward. So yeah. that way people can actually see the guests and ask questions. And remember always to like, share, and comment when you visit our Facebook page, as well as our YouTube page, as well as our Instagram page. Is there any? LinkedIn page? <laughs> Is there anything that I'm leaving out right now? <laughs> yeah, I don't. We're getting, we're getting out there on all the platforms, there, Dexter. Yeah, we're getting out there on all the platforms because it's like so important that everybody is able to educate themselves on ways to from insurance, from life insurance, health insurance, vision, financial wealth, all across the board, and that is exactly why we are here. So until next time, everyone, be well and be safe.